Hey everyone, I'm Katherine Lawson, and this is the Longleaf Pod, where I talk to people who are adding value to communities across North Carolina. For our first episode of the new year, I'm talking with Adam Klein, Director of Strategy at Capital Broadcasting Company. We talk about what makes the Triangle's entrepreneurial scene unique, how companies can invest in their communities, and why we owe it to the future to understand and correct the past. Enjoy the show. So Adam, you are the Director of Strategy at the Capital Broadcasting Company. That's right. This is uh, one of those titles that is you know, very fuzzy and uh, not easy for everybody to get their head around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I imagine that it means that it must be something that's actually interesting and fun for you. So why don't you tell me kind of what, what your job responsibilities are and what that means? Yeah. So a little bit about Capital Broadcasting. It's a unique uh, private sector company um, based in Raleigh, but uh, uh, um, originally a media company, broadcast company, which is uh, the bulk of the business. Uh, we're the NBC and the Fox affiliate in the Triangle market. And probably 15 to 20 years ago, the company diversified into some other lanes of business, which included buying the Durham Bulls baseball team, um, renovating, uh, buying and renovating the American Tobacco Campus, and then uh, over the last eight years, launching the American Underground Tech Hub in Durham and Raleigh, which I led, um, and uh, and so it's a it's a broad, very diversified company in a lot of different you know lanes. And my job is to work across primarily the real estate uh, aspect of capital broadcasting to find new opportunities for our different businesses to collaborate. Um, work together on something that's higher impact in the in the community, or spark a new business opportunity or a new business unit, and am having a lot of fun with that. It's um, we've got incredible leaders in this company, and I think the u- unique thing about Capital Broadcasting that relates to today's conversation is that it's a very community focused business. Jim Goodman, who led the company for the last thirty or forty years. Um, has always made that his mantra that a, a healthy community means that there are healthy businesses. And so there's mm. always been a clear mandate to focus on uh, community growth and well-being across the triangle. And and that's frankly a big part of why, I, why I'm at Capital Broadcasting, I think, is that DNA. That's such a great focus to have. So when, so when you say you're concerned about or working with the health of a community and particularly business community, what does that, what does that mean to you? I think going back to what Mr. Goodman talks about in terms of a successful community uh, will have successful businesses and that, that those two are tied together, that you know you can't have a healthy business community and a broader community that is lagging, that's suffering, that's not doing well. And so I, th- I think a lot of um, the work that we're doing at Capital Broadcasting, the work we're doing in and around the triangle is um, working with business, other businesses that um, share that same care for the community and finding ways to work together to impact the broader community. And one example that I'll give you is AJ Fletcher Foundation, which is affiliated with Capital Broadcasting, uh, just did a grant to the Durham Public Schools and Durham Tech to create a new um, workforce training program for students who want to go into the trades. It's kind of an accelerator program that um, that is going to hopefully start stemming some of the shortfall that we're having in talent that's going directly into trade programs. And that's the, those are the kinds of initiatives that we see as really critical to the well-being of the entire community. And, and at the end of the day, we know that if that's for broader community is successful, then 
we're going to be successful and that um, Durham, Raleigh, Chapel Hill will be healthy and vibrant communities for the next 20, 50 years mm. to come. I didn't know about that program with, in Durham. That's awesome. Yeah, it's exciting. We um, It just was announced uh, the week before Thanksgiving, so uh, fairly yeah, recent news. Really cool. So, so as the you know the director of strategy, you're working a lot with the entrepreneurial communities, and you definitely did before when you were at American Underground. Yes. What do you see with the entrepreneur with the kind of the new generation of entrepreneurs? Do you see that kind of natural association of healthy community equals healthy business, and vice versa, um, in in maybe ways that there weren't always before? Do you think this is just kind of a generational continuance of business leaders like Mr. Goodman? And the heritage that we are developing in the triangle. I I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I I very clearly see it with the entrepreneurs that are a part of American Underground and the broader entrepreneurial community in the triangle. Um, what I would mark out is that this is that this area is really unique in that regard as it relates to entrepreneurship. I, I don't think you see the same community engagement by the entrepreneurial community in places like San Francisco and Silicon Valley. They're, they are heads down focused solely on customer acquisition, building revenue, um, and high scale businesses. And I think that's fine, but I think it's short-sighted. I think that, I think that what's, I, I, I would see as a strategic, uh, asset for the triangle long-term is this kind of inherent, um, desire that entrepreneurs here have to ensure that they are active in the community. And, I don't think that that's necessarily been developed by any one group. I think that's a, a collective mindset that is a part of the broader triangle community. I think many of the entrepreneurs who are here are here by choice. They're here because there's something else that drew them to the triangle besides, you know, access to technical talent. Um, they're often here because they went to school at one of the area universities or they love the quality of life that's here. And so I think because of that, they understand intrinsically that that supporting the community, investing in the community, making sure that the community is um, is doing well uh, is is a part of the kind of business that they want to run and the type of CEO that they want to be. And so I'll give you a quick stat at the underground just about 75% of our companies are mentoring a younger entrepreneur, usually someone in high school or college. Mm -hmm. And that's not a program we created. Like, oh, really? we just started surveying our entrepreneurs and we, we kind of asked that question a little bit at random starting in about 2013, 2014, when we first did our annual report survey. And that number really jumped out at me because we we didn't have a program. We didn't have, you know, a grant from a foundation to create some mentorship program. That was just something that our entrepreneurs care deeply about and want to do. And I think that says a lot mm -hmm. about uh, the kind of companies that are here, that they do that without, you know, anybody giving them a vision for it. It's it's just a part of, uh, part of the people that they are and the kind of community they want to create. That's so interesting. The sense of kind of a homegrown sense of connection, really. Mm -hmm. I mean... Like we all exist in an ecosystem of other people and other of people and communities and it's, it's business and it's local and it's government and it's so many different factors and influences, right? That create the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. And it's just, that's just a, it's a fascinating thing to hear that you're the entrepreneurial community that you've seen here in the triangle kind of de has developed that sense of connection and run and done something with it beyond simply making really cool businesses. <laughs>
And with, I, I know at least with American Underground, y'all set out to intentionally to create a diverse entrepreneurial community, if I remember that story correctly. Correct. <laughs> so what was that, what did that intentionality look like when you guys, when you were working with other people on developing American Underground and the ETC and all of that? So I think if you go back to, uh, I started the American Underground in 2012, um, and in our first my first year there, 2013, I would say we were really focused on stabilizing the business. Like how do we run an effective uh, business operation so that lights are on, <laughs> internet's good, coffee's hot, you know, the basics of that. I think once we stabilized and had the business model figured out um, towards the end of 2013, we were fortunate to be selected by Google for Entrepreneurs as one of their, uh, at the time, seven North American tech mm -hmm. hubs. And it was a big honor um, because it validated what was happening in this region by, you know, our world's arguably one of our, our largest and most successful startups in Google. Um, and what Google, I thought, did very well early on was really challenge hubs to think about the, uh, the opportunity to build more diverse tech communities and, and put funding toward mm -hmm. that. And so late 2013, Google offered a chance for hubs and, and partners of theirs to submit ideas for how to grow the number of female founders in their uh, respective hubs. And so um, AU, along with um, several folks, Kimberly Jenkins, mm -hmm. who used to run the Innovation Entrepreneurship Program at Duke, Lauren Whitehurst, uh, who's a former uh, Boston Consulting Group partner, uh, wife of Jim Whitehurst, who runs Red Hat, um, Vicki Gibbs, a serial entrepreneur at American Underground, and John Austin from uh, NC Idea Labs, we all sort of gathered and said, Hey, we, we think we could take a, uh, run at addressing some of the capital gap for female founders by providing a really deep mentorship program and, uh, access to capital through, uh, various networks that we all have. And we launched a program called Soar Triangle mm -hmm. in 2014 that focused on that. One of our first companies that went through it was Mati Energy, which is a healthy carbonated energy drink started by a, uh, Duke student at the time was just out of Duke as an undergrad. Um, her name is Tatiana and she, uh, joined and was a part of that program. Um, I think got excellent mentorship and went on to win Google demo day, which is a pretty prestigious honor as, uh, her company was scaling. And, and I think that really, um, this opportunity to both have funding to kick off a program like Soar Triangle and to be able to gather different partners from around the triangle to create a program that would very clearly say, hey, we want to um, provide a stellar program for female founders that historically, uh, at least in the tech community, have not been well supported. And, and this is a much longer conversation as to the why behind that. Um, and, and we're going to be really intentional in addressing some of the structural things that we see that are at play there. Um, from there, we, we furthered our support of 
diverse founders, um, again, in partnership with Google through uh, different things. We, we created the um, Google for Entrepreneurs Exchange program. Uh, we launched that with um, Jess Aberhart, who at the time was part of the American Underground team. She's now running Leadership Triangle. And we were very focused in that program on supporting black founders. We felt like there was a gap in incubation services for black founders, in particular founders who are raising seed capital. Mm -hmm. So call it less than a million dollars. And we created a one week boot camp that, um, that sort of supercharged mentoring and, uh, and pitch presentation for black founders raising that kind of capital. We've now run that program for three years. Over 50% of those founders have gone on to raise funding, which is a, an That's astonishing amazing. number when you consider that only 8% of money raised in the tech mm -hmm. space is invested in, um, in diverse mm -hmm. founders. So, uh, so those are two programs that I'll mention, um, by name. We've, we, there have been a whole host of other things that we've done around support for diverse founders. But the thing that I'd probably want your listeners to know most is that this effort was never envisioned as a component of the American underground. This is, this was not like we had a diversity and inclusion initiative. Mm -hmm. This is the core work. Like we, we know that, um, that diversity and inclusion is an important distinction for our area from a business uh, success standpoint. We know that fortune 500 companies that have diverse boards outperform their homogenous counterparts we also know that Durham has an incredible legacy as it relates to Black Wall mm -hmm. Street. Um, we have a very diverse community in Durham. There's no racial majority here. And so all of those to us seemed like, wow, these are huge advantages that we have that we can um, invest in and support so that over time we can change the face of who is starting companies and who is having success and, and really who's raising capital mm -hmm. to build high-scale companies here. We also know that through Jim Johnson's research at UNC that more diverse founders hire more diverse employees. Mm -hmm. And so we believed very early that if we supported founders um, and were intentional in our support of them, that the long tail effect of that would be a more diverse tech space that mm -hmm. generally more um, people of color, more women would, would uh, through networks and other means, uh, become a part of the tech community in the triangle or just connect with these opportunities that were already here um, if they were working at, say, a larger tech company in the community. And so we've seen that take place as well. And I think a clear focus on that being the core piece of our work and that it was a part of everybody's role. It wasn't a, a singular role that was, mm. um, you know, on the American Underground team, I think has been some of what's uh, made this made this work. That's such great work. And it's, I look forward to the time that we don't have to acknowledge that it's being great work. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, really what you're talking about is building an entrepreneurial community that reflects the community from which its people come from, right? Correct. I mean, it's yes. just, we want corporate leadership, like leadership everywhere to be an accurate representation of the people that it, it serves, the people that it represents. Mm -hmm. And that's what, what, you know, you and the, and the team over there were, were setting out to do and you did it intentionally. And I'm curious, how did you decide that, not that that was something you were going to do because they're, you all were just great people and decided to do that, but how did you just figure out what was going to work? I mean, there have, there have been other initiatives and it might just be that they were that they were subset separate initiatives and other entities that decided to try to do this. Whereas for you right. guys, like you said, it was it's a feature, not a bug. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But like, what, what was the process of figuring out what initiatives were going to work, how the orientation of American Underground was going to highlight and, and lead in this area? That's a really good question. I, I think that, um, I think the, the first thing I would say is that, um, as a white guy, I was the least, um, I was, I was the person who had the least insight in that conversation. And we were fortunate that, um, over the six years that I was at the AU, we had built a, a diverse staff. We have a diverse staff, both in terms of people of color, in terms of women. And, and so I think one of the keys early on was that our conversations at our team meetings, which were taking place weekly, were, uh, had this topic at the center of those conversations. You know, okay, we've made it clear that this is going to be a strategic focus for our hub over the next five years. And what, what things do we need to get going with in order to make that happen? And I think, um, I think, you know, as a white guy, I recognize that I have privilege in this country and, and, um, and have benefited from, uh, structures that are in place in this country. And so, uh, so my, my sort of like engagement in these conversations was to say, I recognize that and understand that within the tech space, there are going to be certain privileges that I have that others may not have in, in, as it relates to the work that we're trying to do here. How can I offer that toward this, this collective vision that we're trying to create that would start mm-hmm. to shift where investment money was going or who was receiving mentorship and and those kinds of things. That was a small role that I played. But I think the the most important thing here was that there were people of color and women saying, these are the things that we're hearing, that we're seeing, that we d- directly experience day to day that need to get addressed and building programs um, around that, that um, that weren't being developed by white guys sitting, you know, in some room by themselves thinking mm-hmm. that this is a need that gets to needs to be addressed. And I think that was important. I think the other thing is um, having a realistic time horizon for what, uh, what a change looks like. You know, we didn't arrive here in, uh, in a few years, meaning mm-hmm. we as a country didn't arrive um, at this place of uh, inequality and lack of representation in business leadership over the last few years. I mean, this has been a dominant, uh, reality for our country since its founding. And I think we, we have to recognize that for that to change, the change isn't going to always be immediate, but it needs to be intentional and sustained. And we set out, uh, as a team, we didn't talk about this like, you know, broadly, but we knew internally, Hey, this is going to take, this is a decade, two decades of work and, and well beyond that. But like, let's look at this realistically and say, how do we, take a sustained approach at this and understand what structures need to shift on our, you know, on our team and and within our tech space um, in the surrounding tech community uh, so that this can, this can actually shift and and be a a real change, not just window dressing. Looking at, you know, the next five or 10 years, you know, working, working at CBC, working within these entrepreneurial communities, how, how is that development going? It's good. I, I mean, we have seen good growth in um, in the diversity of the founders who are starting companies in and around this community. But we, mm-hmm. you know, you never arrive at this work. I mean, it's not as though that you know we're ever going to get to a spot where we're feeling like, <laughs> "Wow, it's great. We're work's done. Let's move on to the next thing." <laughs> like this is going to be 
this is a this is you know generations of work that I think we're um, we are doing, and I, I don't think like we're not doing this in a vacuum. There we're standing on the shoulders of many other people who've done important work before us, um, and hopefully are penning a chapter in a longer book here, and we're chapter four of it, let's say. Um, and so I think that that long that long view um, is the thing that I'm I'm I want to really key on because I think for the work that we're doing at Capital Broadcasting, work we're doing in Durham, the work we're doing in American Underground, um, you know, this is going to take time in order for these things to shift. It doesn't mean that there's not urgency in the moment. I do want to be careful that it's not as though you just sort of throw up your hands and say, well, you know, as a white person, this, mm -hmm. this is just going to take time. Let's just be patient. And, and, you know, if it has to take 50 years, it takes 50 years that could, that could easily fall into complacency. I, I think we continue to come to the work, uh, each day with that same level of urgency. And I think one of the things that's been important for us as a company and as a, a team at the underground is to have a personal why for why we do this work that's beyond organizational goals and organizational focus. Cause it's going to be hard work. It's going to take, you know, uh, it's going to take you know, a sustained effort and there are going to be plenty of days where we trip and we screw something up. We, create a program or engage with a founder and, and yeah. what we're doing is wrong. It's not helpful. It's not, it's not, you know, achieving good outcomes. And, and we rightfully get, you know, called on the carpet for that. And I think the important thing there is for uh, particularly white people to have some self-examination and, and think deeply about why, why we want to do the work that we're doing um, as it relates to supporting uh, people of color and women in the case of the tech economy, so that when those uh, when those speed bumps, when those mistakes happen, when uh, we screw something up, we still understand deep down like that doesn't fundamentally shift why I'm why I'm doing this work. So, if you don't mind sharing, what is your personal why for doing this work? Yeah, I, so I'll I'll be honest. So I am um, I'm a Christian, and uh, w and when you pray the Lord's prayer as a Christian, you ask that God's kingdom would come and that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. And as I understand that, I think that heaven is a collection of lots of different people from lots of different places. And when I think about working in reverse of what does that mean here on earth, I think about. Um, lots of different people flourishing in a city like Durham or in a region like the Triangle, not one group. And, and that is my personal why is like, I, I'm called to do that work. And, um, and so what ways can I do that with the role that I've been given, um, such that, uh, Durham and the, and the broader region are better for it and that it's somehow more reflective of, a just and flourishing culture and society that provides better access and opportunities for everybody here. And, and that's what sustains me. And I think, you know, I'd like to be in Durham for the long haul. I've got two daughters and another daughter on the way, and I want for them to grow up in a culture that somehow reflects a bit more of that future image than it does today. And, and hopefully you get to play a small part in doing that. That's a really great why. <laughs> yeah. And Thanks. And I, that's, that I think is part of what I, I think it's helpful and important for people to think about, think about that. And it's different for everybody. I I'm offering mine, but I, um, I do think, like I said, everybody's mm -hmm. going to have those days where we do something and it, it didn't work or we really care deeply about the 
issue of injustice or the issue of diversity and inclusion. And, uh, and yet, you know, the results aren't coming. And so, um, having that long view and the personal why I think Mm -hmm. are, are really key. Yeah. But also I'm curious because a lot of people, especially nowadays, given kind of the, just the the ugliness, frankly, that has in my mind come to the surface in our society right now, we're dealing with Mm -hmm. just ugliness and sins and darkness that have been in our society. And they're just kind of, we're seeing them now, I think in ways that maybe not all of us, particularly people who like people like us, people who are white, got to kind of think that maybe this stuff Mm -hmm. wasn't there anymore. And right now we're seeing whether it's, you know, politics or Mm. race, socioeconomic equality, all of these various issues. It's like, no, there's a lot of work still to be done. And there seems to be, I mean, a lot of different approaches to that, but there are some voices I think you see the longevity of this work, the requirements of it, and the acknowledgement that it will be a bumpy road, that mistakes will be made along the way. And this coupling of urgency and time, Mm -hmm. and it becomes disillusioning. It becomes disappointing and it becomes something that can, that can create a lot of bitterness, you know, but what you're expressing is not those things you're expressing hope and you're expressing commitment to the kind of painful (laughs) ongoing work and partnership with other people Mm -hmm. who need to come to the table, who need to be given space at the table for that work as well. And so both personally and kind of with what you see in the community, in your community, what is giving you that hope, that belief that there, that this, that the longevity of this work, the fact that this is the ongoing work of centuries and even millennia can still be done and that it Mm -hmm. can still move that ball forward. Yeah, it's a great question. And I share your, uh, your concern when you turn on the news or, you know, for me, it's scrolling (laughs) Twitter or something like that in the morning and reading about these different things and feeling like, gosh, like what, you know, what to even make of all of this. And, and I don't have a good answer to that. I'll be honest. Like I, I, it's, it's hard not to feel really frustrated by that. If, if there's anything that's a, a sort of saving grace in that, I feel like is that, um, is that I want to be a participant in a community where, uh, we aren't trading blows on Twitter, but we're talking in person and talking to each other about what issues we're seeing. And we're talking across, you know, ethnic lines that have been constructed and drawn or, uh, economic lines have been constructed and drawn in that, that at least in Durham, um, I've been fortunate to be able to be a part of those conversations and continue to be a part of those conversations with people who are coming from different perspectives and backgrounds than I am, but we're getting to do it in a space and with, you know, the ground underneath us and not, not, um, not on social media so that we can have a conversation about with, with where understanding is hopefully more achieved or better achieved. Um, so that there's a plan for how we go forward and how we work together and that relationships are built and that trust is established and that um, those foundational elements in a community are real and, um, and, are, and we're able to, uh, to work together on, on these important issues. So I think, I think that's all just to say that in as much as this work really is required to take place in a local setting, I realize there are national and and larger sort of structural issues that have to get addressed. But I think in the day to day, at least from, from my role, some of what I look at is like, what's right in front of me? Who are the people who are right in front of me? Um, and being intentional about, um, hearing from people who aren't in front of me that I understand are being impacted by something or, 
uh, or whose voice isn't in the room and, and seeking those out, trying to um, gain better, better understanding uh, as we weigh different choices or think about different things in the city. Yeah. I mean, really to come full circle to what we started talking about at the beginning, it's about your local community. Exactly. It's, it is. And I think, uh, so I grew up, I grew up in Ohio. I'm not from North Carolina originally. And I grew up in a house that my great, great grandfather built in the 1860s. And one of the things I've reflected on in terms of that being an interesting place to grow up as a farm was that like the, that this, this like generational place, you know, that, that, that our family had roots in and continues to have roots in. And I think about that a little bit in Durham. I'm only been here for 13 years, but I think about like in an era where people are moving constantly, you know, both physically and sort of mentally, (laughs) that there's, there needs to be some sort of like sense of, Hey, we're, we're, we're here in Durham. We're here in Raleigh. We get a chance to be a part of this community and, and try to work with, uh, other people around us to hopefully improve that, that community. And that, that, that takes, um, a commitment to a place and a commitment to being here for the long haul. And I think, um, cities who have people who are, are rooted and want to be participants in that place, I think long term are going to be, far more successful than sort of the flavor of Mm. the day. Um, And that's why I think the triangle is well positioned long term is because you do have uh, longtime North Carolinians who were born and raised here, as well as people who are moving here who want to be here for the long haul. They're not interested in just coming and having a transactional relationship with the triangle. Certainly there are people who do that, but I think the vast majority, like I said at the beginning, they love the quality of life. There's something special about being here and they want to invest. And I think maintaining and enhancing that kind of psyche and culture in our community is going to be really important for uh, us to sustain as our region continues to grow. Mm. I mean, really, that, I think that that's such a key point. There's so much in your research talking about how we have digital communities of choice where we kind of, you know, we choose who we listen mm. to, we choose who we interact with, we choose the information we get, and we limit ourselves. Yeah. But I think there's a flip side that there's starting to be some interesting research on regarding community of choice in terms of place. And that with a very mobile mm-hmm. generation of people, you know, I'm also a transplant. And that, like you were saying, like, fell in love with North Carolina. Like, this is my, this is my home. Mm-hmm. And I don't get to choose which pieces of North Carolina I do and don't want. Like, this is my home and this is my community. And mm. it comes with its history, with its people. And that's, that's what I choose. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really good insight that you had, that there are people who are moving here who are choosing this place and choosing these people and that mm-hmm. we can build something with that. That is unique. That's not just transactional. It's not temporary. And that's, yeah, that's a really, I really like that. I think it's incumbent on us to the, those who have been here for generations and those, you know, maybe you and I who have been here for say a decade who enjoy that aspect of the culture here to welcome people coming to the community for the first time and, and explain that ethos that this is a key part and maybe a distinctive part of our community and one that we want to kind of spread. We want for more and more people to feel a sense of ownership over, like you said, this place and the state that, um, that I think just leads to better cities and, 
Um, you know, I'm curious, like Tulsa, I don't know if you saw this, but Tulsa just, Tulsa, mm-hmm. Oklahoma just um, came out with this offer for remote workers to move there, receive $10,000 mm-hmm. and like free, I think it's like a free apartment wow. for a year or something like that, co-working space. And I was trading an email with a colleague of mine last night about that. And I, I said, like, on the surface, I understand what they're trying mm-hmm. to do there. But I think if it's done um, without really thinking about what makes places sticky, uh, what makes someone want to stay in a place long term, it can just be a kind of quick hit strategy. And then people sort of throw up their hands. I think the question is, like, how do you how do you um, really create a culture across a community where people feel engaged and actually are engaged in the city's well-being and long-term success and are investing in this in good outcomes for the city so that uh, so you end up in a, a, a better situation, um, you know, with every year that goes by and even as new people come into mm-hmm. the community. Well, Adam, this was a really fun conversation and, you know, there might be a part two down the line, but before we wrap up, I would like to know, you, know, you interact with so many amazing people. Can you tell me about somebody or something that you're interacting with right now that is really inspiring you? Wow, that's a good question. Hmm. I So I mentioned um, my colleague and friend, Jessica Averhart, who runs Leadership Triangle um, earlier. I count her as something I find incredibly inspiring in um, the work that she's doing at Leadership Triangle, as well as uh, work that she's doing with a few other colleagues at Black Wall Street Homecoming, which is an, uh, really a year-long celebration and platform um, to cast vision for what a 21st century Black Wall Street mm-hmm. looks like in a city like Durham, but also has an annual um, event in September. And I think both Jess and, and the team that put that uh, that work together, do that work to me are some of the most inspiring people in this city because they are, um, they are respecting and honoring the legacy of black wall street and Durham and giving vision to what that could look like, you know, over the next 50 years and creating structures and mechanisms of support for, uh, black business in this, this city. And for people who may not even be here, but just want to rally around that and be a part of that, that kind of vision. Um, I, I just think really highly of their leadership and, um, and their selflessness in the work that they're doing to create, uh, such a cool, um, initiative and, uh, and high impact business in this community. Well, she definitely sounds awesome. And that's a great initiative that I had also not heard of and we'll have to go do some more research into. But Adam, thank you so much for, yeah, for absolutely. Today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Catherine. It's been fun to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. That's it for this episode of the Longleaf Pod. Now that we're back from the holidays, I'm aiming to share these conversations once a week and hope you'll join in next time. If you like this podcast, please share and subscribe. And if you have thoughts about the podcast or ideas about a person you think should be interviewed, you can find me on Twitter as at Kat Lawson. Thanks for listening.